to the lost souls, the disintegrated spirits, the wanderers, the dreamers, and the seekers. Welcome to the Embodied Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Danielle McGinnis. Our work in this podcast will be to foster healing, transformation, self-expression, creativity, and the development of consciousness. So with our intentions grounded firmly, let's settle in and do some integration work. Hey friends, happy Thursday and welcome back to another episode of the Embody Podcast. If you guys are loving what you're hearing on the show, I would really appreciate it if you slivered to iTunes and dropped a five-star rating, a written review. Just let me know what you are loving about the show, what you want to hear more of, what you want to hear less of, any and all feedback is truly welcome that feedback helps continually organically grow the show get the show into more ears and more souls across the world so before we get moving into today's episode i just wanted to do a few housekeeping components here before we get into the show so the first one is the he and she book club that i've been speaking on about on the podcast kicks off in a few weeks. Beyonce and I, this is our fourth book club and we are doing two books this time. They're small books, about 90 pages each. It's He and She by Robert Johnson. Robert Johnson is a Jungian analyst, a scholar, a really brilliant writer in the in the depth psychological space. And we're going to be unpacking books on he, which is understanding masculine psychology, and she is understanding feminine psychology. And we're going to be doing that by exploring the myths within the books, which are Psyche and Eros in the Parsifal or the Grail myth. And so we're really, really excited to take this book club into a mythopoetic direction and really allow our passions for depth psychology to be shared with people. So if you are wanting to have really fruitful and rich and deep conversations once a month for four months, go ahead and head to the show notes and check that out. It is pay what you want. So it is affordable because you get to choose the price. You get to choose what you want to invest in for the book club. The other thing is that my Born to Heal course, my 12-week signature group program, and so I'm opening the early bird wait list. Anybody who applies before the month of December will get early bird discounts. If you haven't heard me talk about Born to Heal on the podcast before, it's such a lovely creative project. It's taking all of the wisdom and the experiences from my personal dark night of the soul and helping individuals in a small community of women create a deeper relationship with unconscious material. So we do work on the nervous system, we do work on emotions, we do work on mother and father complexes, understanding a map of the psyche from a depth psychological perspective, going into elements of relational blueprints, attachment, compassion, forgiveness, boundaries, value systems, um, and exploring some spiritual elements of and soulful elements of getting into this inner work 
So if you are interested in exploring the depths of your being, feel free to also head to the show notes. I have a link for the course in the show notes. On today's show, I really wanted to talk about a few things that I've been circling around the last couple weeks, and I just needed a little extra time to kind of put the podcast together, take some notes, and really kind of wrap my uh, mind around what I was going to say today. A couple weeks ago, I launched a podcast about psyche and logos, the the modern psychological perspective of how we're navigating our own psychology. And today I want to talk about how some of that shows up in our personal experiences or how we can notice maybe some practical ways that we we run away from soul and the way that i see that the most commonly show up is when we try to we meaning myself and my clients um try to should ourselves into feeling differently than what we actually are feeling. So rather than being with the experience that is, we think that we should be feeling something different. So we're trying to manipulate unconsciously. I don't like to use that word. I did a whole podcast on it. But what we do is we try to reorient our experience and change it to something different, acting as if we are the sole controllers of all of the things that are happening in us. And what this does is we are actually shaming ourselves for experiencing what we are experiencing. So shame is a disapproval emotion. And so many of us were shamed as children. I think shame can be a healthy We can experience healthy shame, but I think for the most part, most people have experiences growing up where chronic shame, chronic shaming had occurred. And so it's not just something that they've done was disapproved of, actually who they are is disapproved of. And so when our caregivers don't have the capacity to be with the whole of our deeply complex emotional experience, we can start to feel a sense of badness about feeling particular things. With shame, because it can help shape behavior, parents can use that and disapprove of their children when they do something that is not socially acceptable from the parent's perspective. But the key there is that it is the responsibility of the parent to repair that because shaming a child causes a rupture in the nervous system. It kind of shocks the child. It's a very parasympathetic experience because it kind of floods the body with a free state. And so if the parent doesn't if the parent doesn't follow that shaming experience up with but I love you anyway, I I could understand why you would do that, I could understand why you would be experiencing that with this empathetic positive regard for the child's being, that can often, if that's not done, if the repair is not following the rupture of the shame, what happens is that the ego that's forming within the inner child starts to feel very victimized by 
the inner experiences that are happening. And so in order to protect that victimized state, that that victimized state doesn't necessarily go away if we comply to our parents' behavior. That's what the repair is for. That's what the parents' repair is for is to help the ego understand and not get kind of stuck in that overwhelming emotional experience and then feel like a victim to this this internal flooding of affect when we're adults and we shame or should ourselves out of feeling what we are feeling we're kind of recreating the similar pattern that we experienced in childhood. And so instead of our parents shaming us, we're shaming ourselves. So we have internalized that external perpetrator from childhood and now it becomes an internal perpetrator. And so any time that you think that you should be feeling something different than what you are, be careful because this victimized ego is being activated that flips into the internalized perpetrator from childhood. And then what you're doing is you're actually shaming the actual shamed and victimized child within. I want to talk today about why we would do this. I think that that's a pretty good base conversation about particularly why this happens. But um, as I'm reading through some of my reading around James Hillman, he has really great writing on how we pathologize our experiences, but we pathologize the pathology. So Hillman's invitation is to think as the symptom symptom as a blessing and be very grateful that the psyche is giving us material to work with so that we can turn towards soul and we can serve the soul. But oftentimes what we do is we take our symptoms and we pathologize them and we think that they are bad or wrong or there's something wrong with us that we're feeling a type of way. And that kind of moves the whole orientation of doing inner work from a shameful perspective and that's that's really disempowering I feel and so inviting more space for what is to to be available I think is so so important on um, page 77 of revisioning psychology Hellman says most insidious of these abuses of psychopathology is the cover it now gives to moral philosophy ideas of mental health and mental illness or ideas about the psyche, about the soul. When we are told what is healthy, we are being told what is right to think and feel. When we are told what is mentally ill, we are being told what ideas, behavior, and fantasies are wrong. And I think that that's a really profound statement because oftentimes in the mental health space, we can stigmatize the actual symptom and turn it into a shameful experience and we can create pathology because of our pathologies and I talked about in that episode about the breakdown of like pathology being experience experiencing forms of suffering Hillman goes on to talk about on page 83 pathologized images do indeed bring guilt 
and not only because the long historical tradition linking sin and illness, the guilty feelings are more than historically caused, they are psychologically authentic, because affliction reaches us partly because of the guilt it brings. And so he's saying here that a lot of our substrata of our being, we've been raised in a, even if you're not you don't claim yourself to be a Christian. We've been influenced by Christian moral values. Oftentimes, there is this link between sin and illness, and that's built into the substructure of our DNA. It's, it's an archetypal pattern. And so when we are experiencing something, it perhaps like let's let's use like a sexual fantasy or someone who is addicted to to sex that's a perfect example of these pathologized fantasies bringing guilt because that is built into our dna that we shouldn't be fantasizing about that and before the before we're experiencing a symptom there is a fantasy or an image that comes before that and so if we can catch that not pathologize that and start to understand what that image is actually carrying that's what hillman is saying here that these experiences can be psychologically authentic because through the experience of guilt that starts to make us turn inwards and it starts to make us ask questions he goes on to say that guilt belongs to the experiences of deviation to the sense of being off failing missing the mark, which is called hamartia. It is indeed questionable whether guilt and pathologizing could be so severed from each other that we could feel pathologized and vulnerable without the same time feeling guilty. So he's saying, can we be with the quote-unquote pathologized fantasy and feel the vulnerability about that without feeling the guilt that is built into the substructure of our DNA? He said, however, the true missing the mark is taking the guilt literally, where failings become faults to be set upright. This places the guilt on the shoulders of the ego, who, quote unquote, should not have failed. Then, pathologizing reinforces the ego style, and guilt becomes a secondary gain, increasing the ego's sense of importance. The ego becomes a superego, driven busily by with repairing wrongs. A guilty ego is no less egocentric than a proud one. And so this is something that I kind of want to talk about today because pride and shame are really linked together, right? Guilt and shame are really linked together. Guilt is I have done something bad. Shame is I am something bad. And I think that oftentimes those are very intertwined within the psyche. And we have this guilt that's built into the substructure of our DNA based on our moral underpinnings from the religions that have come before us and then we have all of these personal experiences of unrepaired toxic shame from childhood and this is a great setup to create an ego like he says that becomes so critical of itself all of the emotions and all of your inner experiences, all of your fantasy and your image, they're being filtered through the ego. And so the ego becomes this tyrannical super ego that's busy repairing wrongs, as he said. But we can let go of this style of guilt, seeing through it as a defensive business that protects the fantasies from coming through. 
For from the archetypal point of view, the matter is less that one feels guilty than to whom? To which person of the psyche and within which myth does my affliction belong? And does it bespeak an obligation? Which figures and which complexes are now laying claim? From this perspective, the guilt brought by pathologizing takes on a radical important. It leads us out of the ego and into a recognition that through a pathologized experience, I'm bound to an archetypal person who wants something from me and who I owe a remembrance. And I think that that is so important because, as I said before, when we're like for the example of someone who feels like a sex addict and they're being flooded with these sexual fantasies before it becomes a pathology or a symptom there are images and archetypes working through the psyche that is the soul bubbling up what we most of the time do because we have we're so separated from our souls we turn to pathologizing in telling ourselves that we shouldn't be fantasizing about that. We shouldn't be experiencing that. And Hellman is asserting that it is that impulse. When we say we shouldn't be feeling something, it's like, well, who's, who is influencing that in you? Like, what voice is speaking through you? Is it a God complex? Is it a parental complex? Is there some some critical, tyrannical force that is that cannot hold the whole of your experience and oftentimes when these inner critical parts of ourselves are are about to be transformed all of these symptoms come up and the symptom is the gateway in because the symptom is going to take us into a descent it's going to help us discover whose voice is that Perhaps the sexual fantasies, you could look at it mythologically. Rick and I were talking about the god Pan, who was half man, half goat. He was the god of chaos, a very sexually deviant figure in Greek mythology. If you can find these image for what you're actually experiencing by looking to archetypes, looking to myth, to try to personalize and create shape to what you're experiencing, these overwhelming emotional experiences start to become a little bit more digestible. So I wanted to go a little bit farther into shame because like we were talking about shame and pride being pretty linked. So shame and inadequacy can often be pretty similar to anxiety but anxiety they can because they're protective emotional experiences they're protecting us from the the core emotion beneath it but shame is uh, a parasympathetic it's it's rooted in more freeze in the nervous system and then anxiety is rooted in more active flight energy, but both of the emotions are provoking us to to hide, to flee, to escape, whether it's from our own judgment or from the judgment of other people. But the main difference between shame and anxiety is that nervous system response between the two of them. So one's a little high activation and the other one is extremely high activation to the point that it moves into a free state. 
So oftentimes when you're working with shame, you'll find a lot of flight, fight and flight energy underneath that that was um, stuck in the system. So shame is the result of being perceived in a way that makes us feel like we are expelled, rejected, dishonored, disapproved of. Yeah, so shame, in other words, is a disapproval experience. In all of our experiences of shame, it involves being seen by others or seeing parts of ourselves as being wrong or bad. And so it's influenced by that morality that's built into our substructure. And here's the important fact here, is that when we are unconsciously moving through shame, it creates this very narcissistic ego because the ego is very, very concerned with its self-image because if it can be just the right way, it becomes either a disguise for shame or a technique so that it doesn't have to experience shame. So how we look to other people often becomes more important than the actual inner experiences of what we're experiencing and who we are. And so if if that's our predisposition towards life, then we're turning away from soul, from the essence, because we're trying to inflate our self-image to protect ourselves. And that's fine, but a lot of people that are carrying this shame are unconsciously moving around the world with this protective, fragile ego because their their self-image is so important to them. Pride is at the other end of shame. And so when we try to change or move about our appearance or our behavior so that others will compliment us or others will approve of us, we forget that pride is a result of an actual achievement. Like working, an achievement would be working through those emotions of shame and processing those emotions of shame. But what we're trying to do is we're trying to act like we're doing that. We're we're wearing a mask, the persona. We become over-identified with our persona. And so our pride becomes very toxic and inflated. And that's that's something to turn towards because that's going to allow us to see there's a vulnerability underneath that. There is a, a fragility underneath that. There's a fear underneath that, a fear of the descent into the symptom that brings us closer to the soul. Toxic shame like I said, it's triggered by this chronic lack of self-approval um, or experiences of, of rejection, lack of acceptance. So when we're rejected, again, very young, this triggers really intense emotions of anger, sadness, grief, fear, um, all kinds of really deep core emotions. And so when our bids of love in our emotional care and our acceptance is met with indifference, with disdain, with neglect, with retaliation, we're experiencing toxic forms of shame or we're we're chronically criticized for who we are, what our needs are, and what we feel. And this causes a person to feel truly bad 
about who they are. And in turn, that restricts their self-expression. And so it's almost like you're putting your soul in prison because it can't, the soul is messy. It's, it's, it's not organized like the ego likes things to be in nice categories and clarity and understanding. It's, it's messy and it's flowy and it's, it's weight. The emotions are always changing and the soul is typically always trying to break through in some regard. It's just the way our ego is oriented to that inner unconscious experiences of images and emotions and behaviors and all of these things, that's going to let us know if we are turning towards our descent into soul. So the thing that we do is typically create armor we create tight walls around our inner experience. And what that can do is that can that can really isolate us from not only our outer reality and other people, but it can isolate us from our inner reality. This happens a lot when we're doing boundary work and we find someone with rigid boundaries, for example, and that the great issue with that is boundaries are not only produced to like shield us from the world, but rigid boundaries can also shield us from ourselves. And so typically the inner part, the archetypal part inside is this inner critic, this inner judge who is always watching and is, who is always on guard against any type of action that will provoke shame. This is often entirely caused by our own subjective experiences, reactions, and judgments, or just simply a lack of self-acceptance and unreal expectations. But that's something that work with um, a coach, a therapist, a safe person can help us reorient how that inner critic is working inside of you. And so when this gets really rigid when this this armored protector becomes super rigid the person's life becomes centered around avoiding shame this shows up in symptoms of just really stiff like a stiff rigid body is is one example but compulsions and obsessions, uh, really high anxiety, rigidity around certain behaviors that toxic shame just keeps us stuck in that armor. And if we can't be empathetic with our emotions, that triggered the shameful experience, which are often the emotions that were disapproved of most as a child, then we go inward for that protection. The armor comes up and this is a form of dissociation inwards because when we think about dissociation we often think about it as this like leaving the body thing but we can dissociate really far inwards too and we can go so far inwards that we are covering the essence of ourself up with beliefs and and actions that block us from experiencing any type of rejection again 
And it's so interesting for, because for a lot of people, until that's adequately mirrored back to them, that they're actually doing this to themselves, they're, act, you know, you could very easily say that this happens in relationship with others. So shame happens in, it's a relational experience, but that's a learned experience from a relationship. But then we start to do it to ourselves. It becomes internalized. And so it takes a mirror to like disrupt that internalized process from playing out chronically. And so I have to do this with my clients a lot. I will kind of disrupt and like pause them in that experience and ask them, you know, was there something about that that you yourself disapproved of? And I ask them like, who who is that that disapproves of that? Can you describe that inner person to me? describe what's happening internally we have to get this conscious perception of what inner experiences and archetypes are working through us and it's our job to get to know that and so i have just a few quick questions that you can start to ask yourself to turn inwards so that you can start to notice areas in your life where you might should yourself well the first one is any time that you find yourself experiencing in a moment and saying i shouldn't be feeling the way that i am feeling what is that invalidator within you like who is that if you could describe it as a person who is that within you Another way to turn towards shame, another question to ask to turn towards shame is, if people knew blank about me, I would never show my face again. Like fill in the blank there. If people knew blank about me, I would never show my face again. And notice what happens in your body when you fill in that blank. So maybe let's come back to the the sexual fantasies. If people knew I had sexual fantasies about XYZ, I would never show my face again okay, well, there's a part of you that is being influenced by that and we want to get to know that. So another thing to actively engage in this material. So what you're going to do is you're going to write to a part of yourself that you disapprove of and have an active conversation with that part of you. So an example is I quote unquote should work out more and then ask yourself, this this part of you, this shoulding part of you, ask like, oh, really? Okay, why? Why should you do that? And just see where the conversation goes. Another thing is to dissect uh, family history. So writing down messages that you learned from your family, indicating how you should act and behave and feel, whether they were explicit or implicit, and how those messages affected your sense of self and then write down three messages that you learned from culture whether they're explicit or implicit indicating how you should act you should feel you should behave and how these messages affect your sense of self as you're doing these asking these questions it is so important to notice where the psyche goes what sensations come forward, what fantasies come forward, what images and memories come forward, and also write those down too because it's really important to just turn towards it, 
whatever is happening, turn towards it. This episode, I just want this episode to be almost like like a pattern disrupt. Like I really want this episode to be something to disrupt parts of you shaming you for just being who you are the messy, complex, intricate, emotional human that you are. And it's so important for me that people can create this sense of empathetic, positive regard that maybe sometimes wasn't available in their lives. But with that empathetic regard for our essence, for our being, that opens up a space of love in the container of your healing so that regardless of how dark the material that you get into, you can navigate that with increased love and understanding for all of the parts that are working through you. And sometimes love means standing up for ourselves And having the confrontational conversations with our inner parts, like these tyrannical judges and saying like, no, you can't judge me for feeling that way anymore. I could understand why you would want to do that, but you can't do that anymore. We're going to learn a different way of protection. And sometimes that's the most loving thing that you can do for yourself is to kick up and stir up a little energy to move it through the system. So hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode. I tried to take notes, but I feel like I was kind of bouncing (laughs) in between ideas and things that were coming up in my psyche. So I wanted to honor that and follow psyche. So if you guys have any questions, please send me an email, head to my website, find a way to contact me there. You can hit me up on social media. I'm not great with DMs, but you can do that. And then also if you are interested in signing up for the book club starting November 14th or the early bird waitlist for my Born to Heal course, you can head to the show notes and find more information about both of those. But with that being said, we will talk on Sunday. Bye guys.